This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. But we've been going through the book of Hebrews one verse at a time, one chapter at a time. I, I love to teach expositionally because it demands us to address the issues in the text and not the other way around. Sometimes we like to fit the word of God to our lifestyle, but when we preach this way, when we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, it actually requires us to fit our lifestyle to the word. It actually causes us to confront issues in our life that sometimes we'd much rather miss or ignore. And all of us sometimes are guilty of cherry picking the parts that we like of the Bible. But doing it this way allows us to go through and it allows God to speak to us through the full counsel of his word. Say full counsel. Full counsel. We want the whole breadth of the scriptures, which we believe to be authoritative and divinely inspired and God breathed to speak to us. Amen. So we've been going through the book of Hebrews, and I love this book. It is written to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem at a time when they're facing great cultural pressure to acquiesce to the demands of the day, uh, not unlike our day, where we're feeling a lot of cultural tension, uh, sociopolitically speaking. Anybody pay attention to what's going on in the news? Is there, is there sociopolitical tension right now? Perhaps. Economically, they were facing difficult times. There was the threat of a, a great recession. Does that sound anything like our day? Yeah. Yep, there was also great governmental persecution of faith. In fact, most of the Christians that remained in Jerusalem had to do so under uh, the cloak of night. They had to do so clandestinely. That's a fun word to say. And it means that they, they weren't able to publicly be out with their faith because of persecution and perhaps being arrested and or thrown in jail. So there was a lot of things happening within Jerusalem that the writer of Hebrews is wanting to address. Now, some people think it's Paul. Some scholars say that we don't really know. And the truth is we don't really know for sure who wrote it, who the author is. But what's interesting to me is that the author of Hebrews has a very specific um, theme, a very specific angle that they are promoting and wanting to get at uh, with where we are currently in Hebrews chapter three and four. And so over the past few weeks, we've been looking at uh, different invitations from God as the people of God, as those who are, who are grafted into this amazing vine called God's people. We're looking at this invitation from, for, for us to enter our rest, for us to draw close to him, for us to take refuge in him, for us to find our strength in him, to come to him for everything that we need. And today I want to continue in that vein with Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. It says this, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. Say soul and spirit. Joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I've already mentioned this today, but the word of God is powerful. The word of God has the ability to judge the attitudes and intent of our heart. That's important. So when you go to the word of God, when you, when you open up your Bibles to read, expect to be judged by God. Expect to have your attitudes judged by God. We, we don't like that word judge. We don't like the word judgmental or judgment, 
But it's not necessarily a negative word when it's in the mouth or hands of God because God judges so that he can heal. God judges so that he can restore. God judges so that he can save. In fact, all of God's salvation efforts throughout the scriptures and particularly with Israel come typically after a period of judgment. Now, we, we don't like the idea of judgment We kind of want you to do you and me to do me. And we kind of want everybody just to sort of like chill and hang together and kumbaya. And and we're just going to, if if we just let live, everything's going to be good, right? And, And that's not really working out too well for our culture right now. In fact, the further and further we get from allowing God to judge the attitudes and thoughts of our heart, the harder it is for us to him to actually put his finger on things that need to change. And for some of us, my fear for us as believers that have heard the word of God or perhaps gone through the scriptures is that we begin to become desensitized to the sharp, piercing, double-edged sword that is meant to actually cut us. And this is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that the word of God is meant to cut like a sword. It's so sharp and it goes so deep that it can actually penetrate and divide soul from spirit. Now, none of us can do that physically or even anatomically. For those of you that are, that are in science or in medicine, you, you study the life of cells and, and you can divide a cell down so, so far, right? But there comes a point where you can't go any further. God's word goes further. God's word knows how to get down into the nooks and crannies of our souls. And it knows how to pierce and it knows how to cut so that it can heal and restore. Now I'm a little bit of a Star Wars geek, but uh, anybody uh, enjoy the lightsaber? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. So I just lost half of the room. That's I knew it was going to happen. No. You know, the lightsaber is this interesting sword in that it's, it's a laser sword. It cuts, it pierces, but where it pierces, it actually cauterizes. And in my mind, that's a lot like the word of God. Where it pierces into your life, it's going to cut deep, but it's also going to cauterize so that there can be healing, so that there can be restoration, so that there can be renewal, so that what what it touches, it's able to actually transform. When we say that the word of God is transformative, this is what we mean. We mean that it has the ability to pierce us. And as it pierces us, it changes us. It transforms us into becoming more and more like the person of God that you and I were created to look like to begin with. Jesus is that prototype. Jesus is the image that we're all being molded and conformed into. And then he goes on to say this in verse 13, that nothing in all creation is actually hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare. The challenge is that many of us think that God doesn't know about the stuff going on in our life. And as a result, we try to hide from him. More on that in just a moment. Continuing with verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, say great high priest, who has ascended where? What does the text say? Into heaven. Is Jesus here on earth right now? No. Okay, just making sure. Just trying to make sure we got our theology figured out here, okay? So Jesus is not here on earth. He's not in Israel. He's not in Washington, D.C. He's, he's not. He's not on earth. Where is he? And he's in heaven. And it says, the Jesus, the Son of God, let us therefore hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but 
we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Anybody ever face temptation? Yeah. How many know that temptation never ends? You just think you graduated past one issue and then boom, you're smacked in the face with another. Temptation goes on and on and on. For some of you, that temptation might look like food. For some of you, that might look like power. For some of you, that might look like telling little white lies to your boss because you overslept your alarm and you told him a story instead of just told him you overslept, right? Whatever that temptation looks like today, the word of God wants to address it. And here's the cool part. The Bible says right here in Hebrews chapter four, verse 15, that we have a high priest who understands this temptation. Now, if Jesus didn't walk in our shoes and didn't do what we do, I might be a little suspect that he actually understands what it's like to be me. But because he actually stood in my shoes as human flesh, as God, but also as fully man, I, I can respect the fact that he actually knows what it's like to struggle with temptation. Temptation comes at us in all different forms, and yet Jesus understands it completely. We have an amazing high priest, church. And this language is, is intended, the writer of Hebrews is using this language to, to move them uh, to bring their focal point back to uh, the Exodus and back to the establishment of the tabernacle and the priesthood. And the priesthood was divinely ordered by God to, to be a, a people within a people, a peculiar uh, race, a peculiar folk that know how to handle the holy things of God in such a way that represent God's heart to the people and, and the people's heart to God. A priest stands at a, at a crossroads, at an intersection between God and man and, and creates meeting places. We use the word tabernacle. That's literally what it means. It means a meeting place. And all throughout the Old Testament, the Levites, who were a particular tribe of Israel, were given this mandate and this task to do this. But how many of you guys know that because they were fully man and not fully God, they failed? And not only did they fail, but when they failed to follow the law and the, the, the way that God wanted them to do things, they died. <laughs> they paid a high price. Jesus, following along those lines, also paid a high price. And he died, but he also rose. And he ascended into heaven where he could represent our heart, our humanity, our stuff before the Father and could stand as a priest and mediator between us and him through the spilling of his own blood. We were singing about it all morning. Through the, the shedding of his precious blood, the priest becomes the lamb, becomes the sacrifice of God, so that he could bring us to the Father and give us his righteousness so that we could stand before him forgiven and free. With no condemnation, with no guilt, with zero shame, that's what our high priest has done for us. He's mediating a new covenant on your behalf and on my behalf. And he invites us as Gentiles, most of us aren't Jewish, he invites the Gentiles to enter into that covenant forever. And that should make us excited today. Because it tells me that regardless of the temptations, regardless of our struggles, regardless of all the stuff that we go through, we have a great and high priest. And here's where we're getting today, and I love this scripture. It says in verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive what? Mercy and grace in our time of need. The title of my message today is this, Approach the Throne. 
approach the throne. Now, I've set up here on this stage uh, a likeness. It's a very poor likeness of a throne. It's the best thing I could do. (laughs) The throne is a place where God resides. It's a place where Jesus is seated with the Father right now. And he's interceding for you. He's praying for you. He's mediating a new covenant for you. He's actually talking and pleading to the Father right now on your behalf. Jesus isn't here on earth. He's with the Father in heaven doing this right now as our great high priest. And the wonderful thing about this reality is that he's offering up prayers on your behalf and mine simultaneously. Now, I don't know how this happens because I have a hard time just having one conversation with my wife. (laughs) But Jesus is having multiple conversations with his father and he's doing so on your behalf. He's doing so so that you can find, say it with me, mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. And here's what I want us to understand before we talk about what it means to approach the throne of God with confidence. I want us to understand that he's a God of mercy and he's a God of grace. Listen to what Lamentations, a book that we never read, chapter three, verses 22 through 23 says. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Did you guys see what it says? Never ceases. Now, some of you had parents or spouse whose love ceased and whose love ceases, depending on their mood. (laughs) But his love never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're endless. And, verse 23, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I love that song. Great is thy faithfulness. It's from Lamentations chapter 3. Now, in this this scripture is, is presented to us this reality that his mercies are new each and every day. You know what I like to say when I get up in the morning? Hello, mercy. Good morning, mercy of God. Woo, last night was rough, Lord. But thank God for your mercy today. Anybody thankful for the, the new and fresh mercy that you receive from God each and every morning? I'm thankful for it. Listen to what Micah goes on to say. He echoes this in chapter seven, verse 18. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? Beautiful. You do not stay angry forever, but you delight in showing mercy. Verse 19, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. We serve a God who hurls our iniquities into the depths of the sea, who tramples our sin under his feet, whose mercies are new each and every day. And some of us, we just need to become mercy-focused. We need to become so intent on welcoming and inviting God's mercy anew each and every day in our lives because God delights in showing mercy. He delights in this. He, he loves to do this. This is something that gets him excited and energized. He loves to show mercy. Now, mercy is when you don't get what you rightfully deserve. Okay, you understand the difference between mercy and grace? Mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. Years ago, I was driving too fast through the state of Iowa and I got pulled over by a cop and I should have gotten a ticket, but instead I got mercy. 
I got what I didn't deserve. <laughs> I got pardon. I got a pass. I was able to be released and set free when in reality I, I needed to be issued a ticket. I experienced mercy. I didn't get what I deserved. Instead of judgment, instead of punishment, we receive mercy. We receive love. We receive kindness and compassion and forgiveness. Is that not what the scriptures have just proclaimed? Grace, on the other hand, is a little different than mercy. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve, okay? So if mercy is not getting what you do deserve, grace is getting what you don't deserve. It's the unearned, unmerited favor of God. Regardless of your works, regardless of how good you are, you on your best day when you're all suited up and looking fly, or when you're on your worst day and you just kick the cat, because you were angry. Don't kick the cat. Grace is, is, is getting something that you did not deserve. It's the unearned, undeserved favor of God. The scriptures go on to say this about God's mercy and his grace. Ephesians chapter two. But God being what? Rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loves us, church, even when you were dead in your sin, in your trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ because it's by grace that you and I have been saved. And we were raised up to life with Jesus and now seated with him where? In the heavenly places. Wait a second. I thought I was seated on the front row of Salt Lake City. But the scriptures tell me I'm actually seated with God in heavenly places. How can this be? Do you guys know that for years scholars have really wrestled with this passage? They're like, how literal do we take this? Is it purely a metaphor? Is it purely figurative? Is Paul wrong? <laughs> no. What he's saying is that the source of your life now, mm, I gotta help you guys get this. Before Christ Jesus, you were dead, is what Ephesians says. You were dead in your trespasses. You were a dead man. You were a dead woman. Completely dead, not alive, not animated, not flowing with the life of God. Before Christ, that was the picture of your life. And maybe some of you are watching this or listening to say, that's still where you are today. You're dead in your works. You're dead in your trespasses. But Jesus offers us life in him and he raises us up. That's why when we baptize people, you guys, we take them down into the water to help them identify with the death of Christ. And we bring them back up because he is risen and we are risen with him. We are raised to life with Jesus so that our old life, our old man that we've thrown off with all of its sin and all of its shame, we now put on the new and we are raised to life with Christ so that the source of our life now resides not with you and me. It resides with him. And where is he? He's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding, praying, pleading on your behalf. And guess what? Not only is Christ seated there, you're seated there too. 
the source, the epicenter of the life that you now have on this earth is not on this earth. And the reason I'm fired up about it is because we are Christians who live with too much of an earthly perspective. We go about our day, we pay our bills, we struggle, we eat, we sleep, we work out, we gain weight, we eat, we sleep, we work out, we gain weight, and we repeat the cycle over and over and over. Am I talking to anybody today or just me? Whoo! Somebody had their coffee today. But our spirit life, the life that emanates from Christ himself, is flowing from the throne room where God, Yahweh, Elohim, the Lord Almighty, creator of the heavens and earth, now resides where the saints and the elders are gathered all around him, bowing in worship, casting their crowns. The seraphim and the cherubim and the angels are surrounding him and they're all crying out, holy, 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 holy. Because every time they look at God, they see a new side of him, something that makes them go, wow! I couldn't see that on earth, but in the heavens, I see it. I behold it. Friends, this is where we are right now with him. Seated with Christ in heavenly places. How can this be so? Because perhaps, my friends, heaven and earth aren't that far apart. Perhaps the veil is a lot thinner than we think it is. Perhaps Jesus is so invested in you and so invested in this life that he's given you that he doesn't want you to feel like he's distant from you or far from you. No, you know why? Because you're seated with him in heavenly places. Your life is with him. It's wrapped up in Christ. That's why Paul's favorite expression is being in Christ. Our life is in the Son, and the Son's life is in us. He sends his Holy Spirit. He breathes upon the disciples. He sends the helper to come and reside in us so that where Jesus is, we can be too. And so that where we are, Jesus also is. I love this. It means that the, the barriers that we think exist between God and us are a lot closer than we realize. Some of us, we have this view of God like being way out there, beyond the Milky Way, beyond the galaxies. He's just like so distant. And here I am on earth just trying to get by. No, 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 my friends. He's as close to you as your breath. Because your life is with him and he is with you. Are you seeing the picture today? First Peter chapter one, verse three says, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us what? A new birth. A new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's saying exactly what Paul is saying in Ephesians. He's saying that when you, when you surrender life as you understand it and know it to Christ, Christ fills you with his life. He raises you from being dead and, and uh, gone in your trespasses and he brings you into the life of the heavens where he is seated, interceding, pleading on your behalf so that you can experience his never-ending, never-ceasing mercy and grace. 
Oh, I'm trying to shatter some religious condemnation off some of your lives today. I'm trying to take a sledgehammer to the guilt and the shame and the stuff that keeps you from drawing closer to God today. I hope you hear my heart. With that said, let us now reread Hebrews chapter four, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Hebrews chapter seven, verses 23 through 25 tells us that there were many priests under the old system for death prevented them from remaining. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. Does the Bible say he has to do this over and over and over and over and over in your life every time you screw up and mess up? No. The Bible says, if I can find it, <laughs> verse 25, that he's able to do this once and forever, once and for all. For all eternity, it is settled, it is done. And he's able to do this because, once again, what is he doing? He is interceding. It says that he lives forever to intercede with God on your behalf and my behalf. Forever is a long time. Do you guys agree? Eternity is a long time, right? This is what Jesus is doing forever. Jesus will never not be our high priest because his blood and his work on that cross is a forever work. When Jesus hung up on this cross, and he gave up his spirit. Right before doing so, he proclaimed these words. It is finished. It is done. And I believe that when Jesus said, it is done, he meant forever. How do I know that? Because that's what the writer's saying. Once and forever, Jesus is able to save those who come to God through him. Your salvation in him is a forever thing, you guys. Do you believe that today? For some of you, this is, what you, this is what the writer of Hebrews means by you need to hold fast to the faith that you profess. You need to, to grip it. You need to own it. You need to have ownership of this thing. It needs to be settled in you so that when temptation comes knocking and the winds of cunning doctrine and, and doctrines of demons come knocking and they will and they have and they are, that you can hold fast to this faith that you profess because you know that your faith is already established in what Jesus has done once and forever and that your life is now seated with him in heavenly places where he's interceding and pleading on your behalf forever. He lives forever and ever and ever to do this for you. This should excite you today. It excites me because Jesus wants you and he wants me to grab a hold of this reality so that we won't stray from it as times become more difficult and dark. And they will, and they are. Anybody look out the window lately and notice that the world's changing a little bit? People are afraid, people are a little freaked out. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to freak out because we know where our help comes from. It comes from him who is pleading on your behalf right now. Amen? So. What is the invitation? What is, what is Jesus saying in unison with the Father? He's saying, approach the throne and do so with confidence. Confidence in your own ability? No. Confidence in what Jesus 
has already done. Verse 16, Hebrews 4, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Some translations say with boldness, with eagerness, with excitement, with enthusiasm. So that, and here's the reason why, we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. The challenge is, is that many of us, instead of going to the throne of God for our help during our time of need, we run to social media to complain, right? We, we turn to our friends who are no further along in life than we are and we expect wisdom from them when what we should be doing is going to the throne. We should be approaching his throne with confidence. So how do we do that today? These last few minutes that we have today, I want to just give you three simple ways that we can do this practically. Are you still with me? Okay. Number one, you got to stop hiding. You got to stop hiding. Hebrews 4.13 reminds us that nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before him, before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Sometimes we, we wrongly think that God doesn't know about our problems. The truth is he already knows what you need before you ask. That's actually what the scriptures teach us, is that he actually knows what you have need of before you ask. Why? Because nothing is hidden from his sight. I looked up the word nothing in the Greek, spent a lot of time researching this this week, and I found out that the word nothing means nothing. Nothing literally in the Koine and classical Greek means nothing. You know why I think this is key to us approaching the throne of God with confidence? Because it, it liberates us from feeling like we have to hide from God. That we, we can't bring God into the stuff that we're wrestling with. That we can't approach him with the things that are going on in our life because we're, we're afraid that he'll, he'll find out. He already knows. Nothing is hidden. From his sight, he already knows what's going on in your life. You're like, oh, I got this going on. I got that going on. If, if people find out, they'll think I'm a phony. They'll think I'm this. They'll think I'm that. What will God think? He already knows, which is why he wants us to come boldly and confidently before him to receive the grace and mercy that we need to overcome the thing that's keeping us hiding. Some of you, you won't break the cycle of addiction because you're still Hiding. You're still like Adam and Eve in the garden. Sewing fig leaves together to cover yourself because you don't want people to see you, to know you. And God's like, I see it all. Nothing is hidden before my sight. So come. Come with confidence so that you can receive grace that you don't deserve and mercy for the things you should have got that you didn't deserve. That's the invitation. One of the great roles that the Lord loves to play in our life is the role of helper. I like that the scripture says, come before him with confidence so that you can receive grace and mercy in your time of need. The, the help portion of that is this. It, it's God wanting to help you. The Holy Spirit's often referred to as the helper because that's the role that he wants to play in our life. And sometimes we look at that as a subordinate thing. We're like, oh, it's a kind of a less thing. I'm just a helper. We look at that term kind of pejoratively. But God, the Holy Spirit, loves to help. 
And he wants to help us in our time of need. He wants to help us in our weakness. So we've got to stop hiding and stop pretending that we don't need help. Number two today, you've got to give thanks. You've got to know how to give thanks. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Did you see the with thanksgiving part? A lot of us leave this portion out, except around the holidays. <laughs> But he says, don't freak out, don't be anxious, but in prayer and through supplication with thanksgiving. Giving thanks, or what the scriptures here refer to as thanksgiving, is, I believe, another key to approaching the throne of God. Why? Because he's still God, and we should walk in holy reverence before him, and he wants your heart to be open to actually receive what he wants to tell you. Thanksgiving opens your heart to hear God. It opens your heart to receive from God. If there's any barriers in your life or doors, thanksgiving is like the key that opens them, that allows you to enter into the holy places of God confidently. The writer of, of the Psalms, David, most people, people believe this, this Psalm was attributed to David, but Psalm 100 verse four says this, enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise, give thanks to him and bless his name. David understood that thanksgiving was a key that unlocks the door to entering into the holy places of God. Friends, thanksgiving is powerful. It's such a powerful practice, and we don't have to wait until November to do our gratitude challenges, our 30 days of giving thanks. No, we are called to do this daily as we approach the throne of God. We enter his gates with thanksgiving. We come into his courts with praise. We give thanks to him and we bless his name. Thanksgiving is powerful. And when you give thanks, it adjusts your outlook on life. When you're feeling like your life doesn't measure up to your friends on the gram and you're feeling like you're not where you want to be, you know what you've lost sight of? You've lost sight of this reality of thanksgiving. You've lost sight of the things that you used to be thankful for. You got that house. You were so excited to have that house. Now all you can think about is the next bigger house you're going to have because you stopped being thankful for what God already gave you. Amen? You got that car. You worked really hard. You saved up. You got that car. And then someone showed up with their Maserati and you were like, oh, man. You've lost sight of Thanksgiving. The invitation for us is as we approach the throne of God, the throne of grace with confidence, we're doing so with Thanksgiving on our hearts. We're opening our hearts to say, God, thank you. It's one of the, the best ways to begin prayer because it opens your heart to receive from him what he wants you to have, amen? And number three, you gotta tell him what's on your heart. Romans chapter eight, verse 14 to 15, Paul says this, for all who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you what? A fearful slave. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own Children, now we call him Abba Father. The word Abba is an Aramaic term for father. This is what I love about the heart of God. It's that he wants us ultimately to approach him like a father. Jesus says to the disciples, when you pray, this is how I want you to do it. Our Father who is in heaven. He doesn't say, you know, God of wonders beyond our galaxy. He says, our father, who's where? On his throne. He wants us to come to him with thanksgiving, eager hearts of 
of thanks, attitudes of gratitude, but ultimately he wants us to come to him knowing that we are his own children. Now, at home, I have a home basement office set up that we've put together. It's where I sometimes do some of my studying. And my kids, they know where dad resides most of the time when he's home. He's on his throne. <laughs> and they love to come bursting into my room. And you know what's really cool about it? Is I love that they feel so confident to do so. That they feel like they can come into my presence and not be shamed, reprimanded, rejected, or pushed away. Now, there are times when I have to say, okay, just wait a moment. But I, when they were little, when they were like three and four, they used to come running into my office. They'd just jump right up on my lap. Daddy! Abba! I'm so excited to see you today. I want to tell you about my day. Abba, I want to tell you about the things that I need grace and mercy for. I, I've got this going on in my life. This bully's been really mean to me lately. Been picking on me. Hasn't been too nice. So, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Let, let daddy take care of that for you. I, I love this about my kids because it tells me two things. It tells me that they trust me. It tells me that they feel safe when I'm with them. And for some of us today, we haven't felt very safe with God. And that's why we don't approach the throne. Because we're afraid he's going to find out something that he already knows about. That he's going to reject us. He's going to smack us with his big heavenly rod. He's going to yell at us. He's going he's to get mad at us. He's going to shame us. It's not the heart of our father. Some of you, that was the heart of your father. You had a hard dad. He didn't represent the heart of God very well to you. And because of that, you just, you live with this constant sense of like, I can't approach the throne because if God is anything like my dad, he's just going to get mad at me. He's just going to reject me. So I'd much rather just hide. I'd much rather just do life apart and, you know, Go find a group of people that will accept me and affirm me as I am rather than help me and heal me and transform me as I should be. And that's where some of you are right now. And for some of you, like going to your father was not a safe thing. And for some of you that didn't have fathers, you never knew the reality of this. But for those of you that did, sometimes it wasn't a safe place. You come to the house, you, you hear dad shouting or getting angry or mad or, or, you know, for those of you that had alcoholic fathers or whatever, approaching the throne or going, bursting into his office or doing those things, those weren't safe places for you. But hear the heart of God today when he says, approach the throne with confidence, with boldness. Because I've got the mercy and I've got the grace that you need. You're my child. Those of us that are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. We're not outsiders. We're not slaves. We're not even servants. We're sons and we're daughters. A son and a daughter can enter their father's space with confidence. A son and a daughter can go to the fridge and get a drink without 
their, their father or their mother yelling at them, hopefully. <laughs> a son and daughter has different rights and privileges that somebody who's not a son and a daughter doesn't have, right? If someone comes off the street and they're a stranger and they enter my house and they start accessing my fridge and they start bursting into my office, I might have problems with that. Rightfully so. But my children, my two boys and my girl who I love, they've got free access. You guys, Jesus paid it all on the cross so that we could have free access to come before him boldly with confidence, ready to receive grace and mercy. Am I talking to anybody that needs a little grace and mercy today? Oh, I think that's all of us right now. Some of you need grace for problems that you're facing at work. You need the favor of God on, on you to help you walk through or work or navigate the situation you're in. Some of you need mercy because you've been making mistake after mistake after mistake. And guess what? His mercies are new and never ceasing. He's got everything you need, but he wants you to come to him to receive it. Amen? Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at CourageousChurch.com.